By now, I'm sure most of you have heard that the emergency relief bill, which would get most Americans $1,200 in these trying times, was blocked twice by the Democrats. Depending on which media source you read, you'll get different answers. But the mainstream media tends to call it a partisan fight or they act like the only difference between the two groups is how much money they're going to spend. But that's just not true. One news outlet actually said the Republicans are mad because the Democrats are trying to do too much for the economy. The reality is Republicans skipped their vacation. They negotiated a bill. And then Nancy Pelosi shows up after her vacation and says, shut it down. She wanted to propose, she wanted to propose her own 1,404 page bill. In it is a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with emergency relief efforts. Now, some of these things many people may want, but now is not really the time. They're talking about student debt forgiveness, climate, you know, emission regulations and diversity quotas. What does any of that have to do with providing people emergency relief? Now, you've probably heard a lot of this before, but here's where it gets interesting. Donald Trump's approval on the coronavirus, despite the fighting, despite what's going on in the Senate and the House is going up. And more importantly, his approval rating as it as it pertains to the economy is also going up. In fact, one poll shows that Donald Trump's approval rating on the economy is higher today than it was two months ago when the economy was doing very well. That says to me that people are seeing through what's going on with the Democrats. There was one story about the Democrats blocking this bill over half a million shares because Americans are finally realizing what's going on. It seems the Democrats are throwing in their last ditch effort at a time when we are our most desperate, when businesses are dropping, everyone's getting hit, even me. The Democrats would rather stall things out to try and get student debt forgiveness and carbon emission regulations and weird racial diversity quotas. They're going for it. Why? I think they know they're going to lose. But let's take a look at some of the stuff they put in this bill. And I want to explain to you why Trump is doing better than ever. And I want to show you how the media has been playing this up and it's just not working anymore. At a certain point, the American people say enough. They start paying attention because they're wondering why their money is evaporating. The story from the Daily Caller says Pelosi's bill gives millions to arts and humanities, but zilch to the crucial mission. Before we read Head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do, share this video. I know there's going to be a lot of people who don't want to hear it. They're just, at, they're just completely convinced the Republicans are the bad guys. But let me tell you something. Martha, uh, Martha McSally right now, Republican, is proposing or, or announced that she is going to propose legislation to suspend lawmaker pay if they can't get this job done. And I will also remind you, that it was the Republicans who skipped their vacation to negotiate a bipartisan relief bill. And it was Pelosi who showed up after the fact saying, nope, we're going to do our own. And the Democrats blocked the bill twice. I hope that, you know, look, people aren't going to want to hear it because they're going to be entrenched, but maybe there are some people who might. So you can help me out by sharing the video. Also subscribe, hit the notification bell because we're all getting hit right now. I mean, everybody and YouTube is actively demonetizing and deranking tons of content. Let's take a look at what's going on from the Daily Caller. They say House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing a stimulus bill that calls for millions in additional funding for various seemingly unrelated agencies while providing no funding to Customs and Border Protection or to ICE. As lawmakers in the upper chamber of Congress continue to struggle to pass a relief package intended to help Americans struggling financially with the coronavirus pandemic, Pelosi and House Democrats are pushing their own bill. However, her version is being derided by GOP critics for funding measures that have no relation to the spread of COVID-19. 
Among the provisions, 35 million for the uh, for the JFK Center for Performing Arts, 36 million for the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, and 7 million for Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. Her bill included numerous other unrelated provisions, such as a bailout for the Postal Service, risk-limiting audits of election results, requirements for early and same-day voter registration, and also a requirement for airlines to fully offset their carbon emissions. What does that have to do with anything? Not only that, it included a a requirement to pay off $10,000 in student debt per person. Why? That has nothing to do with what's happening right now. The Republican bill would have deferred payments, and I believe it would have waived interest rates. I'm not entirely sure, but deferring payments. So look, you took out a loan, you still got to pay it back, but we're putting pause on everything right now to provide emergency relief. And not only that, they're going to give you a check for 1200 bucks. Now, the Democrats wanted to give a lot more money to the American people. That's true. And there have been criticisms of the Republican bill. But the reality is no one's really concerned about fighting over student debt forgiveness and carbon emissions when they don't know if they're gonna be able to pay their rent. And that's where we're at right now. But I kid you not, This bill that was proposed by the Democrats, Pelosi's coronavirus stimulus bill mentions diversity 32 times. Why? What does that matter? We're going to give everybody a check, right? Well, apparently diversity and inclusion is much more important than making sure you can pay your rent. The Democrats are exploiting our fear and our panic. They are using this essentially as a hostage negotiation. It's a hostage situation. There are a lot of businesses that know right now, if they don't get this relief package, they might lay off thousands of employees. Last I heard, Boeing, I think, was shutting down production, which, was going to, which would affect 70,000 workers. The emergency relief package would get them money to make sure these companies can keep paying their employees. Hey, it's not perfect, but it's an emergency provision and there could be risks involved. What's the alternative? Right now, the Democrats are claiming that these bills would allow them to, to be irresponsible. But the responsibility they're talking about is racial quotas on boards, uh, on corporate boards. So these companies are now considering the fact that considering either you take the, you, you take the poison pill, you take the, 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 the horrifying provisions that no one agreed to, or your company goes under. The way it's supposed to work in this country is that we negotiate our ideas. We talk about what makes sense and what doesn't. And if it works, we then approve of it. This is them using a crisis to jam down our throats, things we never agreed to. And they're blaming the Republicans the entire time. Look at this. They're also trying to put climate rules. I have no idea why. But the reality is this. Most people approve of the job Trump is doing. And, you know, it's because the Republicans, I mean, look, they skip their vacation. That's fair. But it's also things like this. GOP senator wants to withhold lawmaker pay until coronavirus aid package is enacted. I find this honorable. They say Martha McSally plans to introduce legislation aimed at withholding pay for senators until a coronavirus stimulus package becomes law, adopting a populist tactic often used during Capitol Hill budget stalemates. If the Senate can't come together in a time of great need, no senator should receive a paycheck. Like millions of Americans, McSally and an Arizona Republican tweeted Monday, if the urgent COVID-19 relief package fails again, I'm introducing a bill immediately to withhold senators pay until Americans are put before politics. Surprisingly, this message is working. First, as I mentioned, you saw Trump's approval rating is up. We also have this. Kevin Robillard of the Huffington Post with this rather shocking tweet. What was once an outlier is now a trend. 
Two Democratic pollsters find a majority of registered voters approve of Trump's handling of COVID-19 and trust him more on the issue than congressional Democrats. Boom, there it is. Nancy Pelosi can come out and say whatever she wants. The media can, can put out whatever lie or misinformation or slanted media they want. The American people aren't buying it anymore because not only do they not trust the press, they don't trust the Democrats or the congressional Democrats, at least. So there's one thing that really annoys me about a lot of media is they try to oversimplify things. And you've got one, one you know, tactic being deployed by media where they just say, here's what the Republicans are offering, 1200 bucks. The Democrats are offering 3000 and they ignore everything else. So it sounds like the, like the Democrats are just trying to give you more. The funniest one was from the Washington Post, where they claim that Republicans are angry that Democrats want to do too much for the economy. No, they're angry because no one should be talking about diversity quotas at businesses at a time when businesses are shutting down. But this, this is where it gets really interesting in this poll. This, was the link, this, this is the link to the poll that was posted by Kevin. And we can see something really, really fascinating. First of all, do you approve or disapprove of the way Donald Trump is handling his job as president? We can see that it's actually still kind of up. March 23rd, they say net approval is 47%. Well, in February, it was 45%. Even though we're facing this huge crisis, Trump's overall approval rating, at least to this pollster, is up. But here's where it gets really great. Do you approve or disapprove of the way Donald Trump is handling the economy? Net approval is 53%. It is above the majority. The majority of registered voters approve of Trump's handling of the economy today when the economy is in shambles. Check this out. Going back to February or January, when the economy was actually doing pretty well, it was 48%. It was tied according to this pollster's, their, their, their polling method. That means right now, if you were to ask people, do they think Trump is helping this economy? They're saying, yes, we are facing a major crisis. The markets dropped nearly 30%, but more people than ever, according to this poll, think Trump is doing a good job, especially compared to where it was before. To me, that's absolutely that's amazing. We have this poll from the Daily Mail. This is for, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, the story is from the Daily Mail. This, the poll is from Hill Harris X. 61% of voters say Trump is taking strong enough measures to fight coronavirus, despite widespread alarm from medical experts who say lockdown should be for months. And we can see now how the media handles things. You know, when the polls start turning up really well, you can only lie so much. And this story truly captures the desperation of the media to spin things to a negative. It was the Democrats that blocked the bill. It is Trump that is doing a good job. The Republicans who are foregoing their vacation and willing to skip their pay. And the media does not know how to handle it. I love this story. Check it out. America's Americans revulsion for Trump is underappreciated as Democrats fret about their own prospects. Many fail to recognize the president's fundamental weakness. They start by pointing out Americans approve of Trump, but they're trying to make it negative somehow. Their only response is, well, it's because Americans don't truly appreciate just how bad Trump is. Yeah, we're smarter. We in the media class, the release on Friday of an ABC News Ipsos poll indicating that 55% of Americans approved of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus, 12 points higher than the previous week, prompted another round of fatalistic chatter in certain quarters of the of political establishment. Shocked by Trump's victory in 2016, some left-leaning commentators and rank-and-file Democrats alike have been stealing, them, stealing themselves for his re-election in 2020, 
noting that most presidents win second terms. That, at least before the pandemic, the economy was humming along, and more recently that, during moments of national disaster, Americans tend to rally around the leader they have. But these nuggets of conventional political wisdom obscure something fundamental, something that even Democrats have trouble seeing. The United States is in revolt against Donald Trump, and the likely Democratic nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, already holds a daunting lead over Trump in the battleground states that will decide the 2020 election. By way of disclosure, I am a Democratic pollster. For professional and personal reasons alike, I want Democratic candidates to succeed. But no matter what, I want candidates and party operatives to base decisions such as where and how to campaign on an accurate view of the political landscape. At the moment, Democrats are underestimating their own strength and misperceiving the sources of it. All right. Donald Trump is doing better than ever. Democrats are blocking polls. But sure, Atlantic. Sure, Stanley. The real issue is that we plebs in the American public are just too stupid. We just don't understand how much people actually do hate Trump. It's funny that the media pushes these stories over and over and over again, yet they can never accept even when the data flips. Now, they had on their side the polls for a long time, the polls in 2016, uh, 2016 saying Trump is going to lose. And then he won. They tried, to, they, tried, they tried to explain it away. First, they said it was Russia. Then they said it was trolls and bots and fake news and conspiracy theories. Now, what are you going to claim? Now they're claiming it's just that Democrats don't understand and the polls are wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong this time. They were wrong last time. Hey, you know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe Republicans are just angry that Democrats want to do too much for the economy. No, I'm sorry. When you look at these stories, even USA Today, all they do is show you numbers. They don't explain to you that Americans are sick and tired of the obstruction over weird ideological nonsense. What? Does racial diversity have to do with relief packages? And why are you holding up our aid for climate change provisions? From the Hill, GOP blames environmental efforts, but Democrats see public health problems with stimulus. Once again, the media just plays the exact same game. Yet when we look to the polls, we can see the American people think otherwise. When it comes to Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or Trump, the majority of voters in this poll, or the largest faction, I should say, a plurality, 37% believe it is Donald Trump who is the more caring candidate, more than half of voters. 62% said they would pick either former Vice President Biden or Bernie Sanders, the two Democrats still running for president, as the most caring candidate. But when you frame it like that, it makes it seem like Trump is actually doing really bad. But the reality is Biden got 33, Bernie got 29, Trump got 37%. Now, it is to be fair, it is possible that if you know Sanders dropped out, then the number would split mostly in favor of Biden. But I just don't see it being reality. What I see right now is Americans who are hurting. I see congressional Democrats are not trusted. Their approval rating is half of what Donald Trump's is. And Nancy Pelosi is even underwater compared to Donald Trump. That's just the reality of what's happening in this country. And when you look to the naysayers and the doomsayers who, who complain about Trump's handling of this, the people in the media who want to pretend like everything he's doing is wrong, they are not correct. The U.S. was more prepared for the pandemic than any other country, according to John Hopkins University. You see, one thing we're seeing that's misleading is that although the U.S. may become the epicenter of the coronavirus soon, I mean, first it was China. Then it was Europe. Then it was the U.S. And it's because there was a delayed reaction to how many people were infected in these countries as time went on. The infection started in China. It then hit Europe really bad. Now it's making its way here. 
But when you compare a country like Italy to the US, you ignore cultural standards, you ignore population density. Right now, the epicenter in the United States is New York City because they have 28,000 people for every square mile. I believe that's the number. Hence, you're going to see a massive spike. But we're a country of nearly 330 million people compared to Italy's 66 million. So it's not fair to compare the one to one numbers. When John Hopkins did, did a study, they found we actually were prepared. But hold on. I heard in the media that Trump gutted the CDC and took away funding. It wasn't true. Even Snopes claimed it wasn't true, which is shocking. But let's read this. They say the United States was ranked the best prepared country in the world to handle a pandemic in late 2019 by the Nuclear Threat Initiative and the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. An assessment seemingly at odds with claims by Democrats that the Trump administration left the country vulnerable to the ongoing coronavirus outbreak. The Global Health Security Index was developed with guidance from an international panel of experts from 13 countries with research by the Economist Intelligence Unit. The Washington Post reported last year, more than 100 researchers spent a year collecting and validating publicly available data. At the same time, the paper noted that the U.S. score was still not perfect and that factors driving down the U.S. score include the risks of social unrest, terror and low public confidence in government. President Trump's campaign has argued in recent days that misinformation may be one of the leading causes of the lack of confidence. For example, Trump's team has pointed to claims by presidential contender Joe Biden that no one on the National Security Council staff was put in charge of pandemic preparedness based on a report that in May 2018, then National Security Advisor John Bolton eliminated the NSC's Office of Global Health Security and Biodefense in a reorganization effort. Rear Admiral R. Timothy Zimmer reportedly was ousted as senior director and no replacement was named. But factcheck.org determined that the matter amounted to a reorganization and that some team members of the NSC pandemic office were shifted to other groups and others took over some of the top officials duties. The White House says the NSC remains involved in responding to the coronavirus pandemic. A senior administration official said earlier this month that the NSC's global health security uh, directorate was absorbed into other into another division where similar responsibilities still exist, but under different titles. The work of coordinating policy and making sure that decisions made by the Trump coronavirus task force are implemented is still the job of the NSC. The point here, this story shows that before this outbreak happened, I mean, we were the best, weren't we? Now, all of a sudden they're going back to 2018 and I'm seeing these tweets pop up. It's what they do. They take information out of context and the media is more than happy to misstate, misrepresent so that people don't know what's going on. Well, I guess the good news is that people are finally starting to realize it and the polls are reflecting. Well, they're not reflecting what the Democrats are claiming. Congressional job approval as of today in the aggregate is down at 21%. You got to be kidding me. 66.3%. The media loves to tout how Donald Trump's approval rating is in the gutter when in reality, Congress is way worse. Perhaps the real issue is that most Americans just hate the government in general. They don't care what branch you're in. They don't care who you are. They don't like you. So when you take a look over at, say, I don't know, Donald Trump, he's, he's not doing great. He's at 44.5. He dipped down from a peak once the start of the pandemic, but he's still a bit higher than he was in the past few years. And he's well above Nancy Pelosi. Here's what I think. I think most Americans just disapprove of everyone in government, everybody. 
And that it's worse for the Democrats. They're the ones who control the House and their approval rating is in the gutter. So is Schumer's and so is Pelosi's. They're not. You want to talk about Trump, you know, being hated by the American people. You got to talk about, you know, Pelosi bad and Schumer bad the same because people are criticizing them much in the same way. Which brings me to the last few points. First, the media has been driving this narrative that things are going wrong. Dr. Fauci calls out media for pitting him against Trump, saying it's not helpful, going on to say, I hope they would. I wish he said this, quote, I would wish they would stop because we have a much bigger problem here than trying to point out differences. He told WMAL's morning on the mall on Tuesday, really fundamentally at the core. When you look at things, there are not differences. If the media keeps saying there's a rift between Fauci and Trump, and then Fauci wasn't at the daily briefing and that proves it. And Fauci is saying, stop. It's the media driving the wedge, the media covering for the Democrats. And I don't know why, other than they must be Democrats themselves, or they just want to watch the world burn. I don't get it. But I'll tell you what, if you're one of these people who thinks the Democrats are going to win in November, I got a bridge to tell you, man. Take a look at this. The last poll, new Monmouth poll, Trump versus Biden. Real Donald Trump is surging. Trump has 45%. Biden has 48%. Now, Biden is still polling higher than Trump, but there's an important factor. Couple. The margin in 2016 was Trump 46% and Clinton 48. You see, the issue is the national popular vote doesn't matter. The electoral college does. And while they, the other article claimed that Biden is doing the Atlantic, that Biden is crushing Trump in these swing states, it's yet to be seen. All of these other national polls show people think Trump is right on the economy. And as that one poll before showed, which is shocking, they think he's doing better today than he did when the economy was actually doing really, really well. And that brings me to the last bit, man. This is from Breitbart. I don't often use Breitbart, but they have this clip from Joe Biden on The View. Biden's quote on the coronavirus. I have no idea what this quote means. And it's an example of the problem with Biden and no viable Democratic candidate to even compete with Trump. Check this out. Quote, we have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. I have no idea what that means. Do you? At first, I, maybe he was saying we have to take care of the, of the disease. But then, he, then, he, then he, let, let's try this. Maybe he meant disease, not cure. We have to take care of the disease. That will make the problem worse no matter what. Okay, that doesn't make sense either. What do you mean? What will make the problem worse? We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. Biden's out of his gourd. Dude's lost his mind. He's been locked in his house. He looks really tired and really disheveled, and he can't speak straight. He's not talking sense. So if you want to complain that Trump's doing a bad job, fine, go ahead and do it. The polls show otherwise. And I don't even know who's going to be running against in November, as I've stated in the past, but I'll leave it there. There's a lot to be seen. Will Trump successfully pull us out of this crisis? I don't know. But right now, if you got a problem with what's going on in the economy, it's not Trump. And, and, and the media cannot convince people otherwise because they're starting to see through the lies. The Democrats have blocked this. They are selling us out. And the polls show the American people understand. I'll see you on the next segment coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you there. For the second day in a row, Democrats have blocked an important piece of legislation, the emergency relief package that would have provided aid to businesses and American families. And they did it because they wanted to take advantage of the desperation of the American people. And I wish I were exaggerating. I wish that was my opinion. It's what they have basically said. 
in an op-ed that I covered yesterday on, for USA Today, Democrats, please don't waste the coronavirus crisis. Hold out for what Americans need. Hold out for what Americans need relief now. People have no money. Apparently, a Democrat spoke to Pelosi and said, wait, now's our chance to reshape things in our vision. And I covered that yesterday. Following that story, we saw the Democrats did it again. But the extent to which they have stabbed us in the back is so much worse than I realized at the time of filming that video. 1,400 pages, I kid you not, that the Democrats are trying to put forward in their own bill. I couldn't read it if I wanted to. Who has time to read 1,400 pages? I'd imagine right now, as people are desperately rushing full speed to get something done, to kickstart the economy and make sure families have food, can pay for medicine, can get the supplies they need. I'm sure the last thing they're thinking is, let me read an extended novel. You know what, man? Some of the biggest books available aren't even 1,400 pages. And apparently this thing is stuffed with Green New Deal-esque ideological nonsense that has literally nothing to do with providing relief to Americans. I'm not going to sit here and pretend the Republicans' plan was perfect. Absolutely not. It may have seen some people getting less than others based on income. And a lot of progressives said everyone should get the same amount. There's some other criticisms, you know, about providing leeway for big corporations. But those are those are conversations about loopholes and the nitty gritty stuff. In the end, the gist of the Republican bill was to get money into the hands of companies to pay their employees and to American families to buy the things they need. And look at this. You know, I actually wanted to read this to figure out what it is but it is 1,404 pages long. So you know what the worst part is? Well, the worst part, honestly, is all the ideological garbage that's in it. But it's also that even if even if they wanted to propose something in good faith, who could read it? You, You have very little time to get anything done. And now you end up with this. MSN says, or I'm sorry, this is the Washington Post rehosted by MSN. Democrats block key vote on $2 trillion coronavirus bill as Senate floor erupts with partisan anger. Partisan anger. I love it, man. Did you know that a new poll just came out showing that Americans approve of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? This is the fourth poll. 53% of Americans say Trump is doing a good job handling the coronavirus outbreak. So the Democrats have decided to hijack the coronavirus stimulus for liberal Christmas in March. This is what I love about both the media and the Democrats as of today. I show, look at this. Democrats, please don't waste this crisis. Hold out. Democrats should leverage Republican desperation to ensure any coronavirus bailout protects workers. Well, first of all, I understand that for a news outlet, these two different pieces don't reflect the paper itself. But it is a bit confusing when USA Today runs two different op-eds, one demanding Democrats hold us, the American people hostage for their political agenda. That's what they're saying. Make no mistake. When this article says Republicans are desperate, they're not talking about Republicans. They're talking about you. You're desperate. And you know that when you've got no food, you can't pay your bills, you will do anything, right? That's why they wanted to shove a 1400 page bill down your throat. That is a knife in the back of the desperate American worker. I'm sorry. I am livid. Seeing this was was shocking. USA Today opinion, James S. Robbins says, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. As Rahm's rule says, never was there a more concise summary of both the promise and dysfunction of American politics. 
Every time the country faces a crisis, real or perceived, there's a rush in Congress to pass massive bills that go far beyond responding to the matter at hand. These phone book sized, if I can use an anachronism, I love it. Emergency acts are too long and detailed for any legislator to read and fully comprehend. But you can bet they're stuffed with gimmicks, giveaways, sweetheart deals, and ill-advised policies with no bearing on the crisis itself. And I was warning about this, that the government was going to try and gain as much power as they could. No, we've seen it. The Department of Justice wants the ability to indefinitely detain people amid ongoing emergencies. Nah, I'm not interested in playing that games. Worse still are the Democrats who hijacked a negotiated bill. And worse still is the media that is trying to cover for them. It's gross. Partisan bickering. Please spare me. The latest example is the newly introduced House version, the Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act, intended to afford stimulus and stability in the face of the economic crisis fomented by COVID-19. The bill might pro- uh, may provide some form of uh, sucker to the economy. But in the words of Majority Whip James Clyburn, the crisis is also, quote, a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. In other words, coronavirus gives good cover to impose progressive requirements on stricken businesses and a society eager to see government simply act and fast. That's right. Within this bill are a bunch of weird Green New Deal-esque identity politics garbage provisions that would require companies to do things that literally make no sense. They said, their they're, they're simple way of phrasing it, and I see this, this lie repeated all across Facebook, and now I'm just, I've just completely had it with these people. They're saying the, the Republican bill was a slush fund. It would allow these, these corporations to spend money, not report it, and do all these other things, blah, blah, blah. You're talking about loopholes. Yet no one intends for loopholes to be exploited. When we err on the side of, of holding back on restrictions, you get loopholes. Do you want to sit down and try and go through every single possible loophole? That'll take forever. What the Democrats have done is used that as an excuse to inject dogmatic ideology because businesses are scared and suffering. This is disgusting. Liberal special interests. So this is interesting. The, the bill I looked at is 1,400 pages, but apparently he says this one's uh, 1,119. It's a Christmas in March for liberal special interests. It imposes racial and gender pay equity provisions, diversity on corporate boards, increased use of minority owned banks by federal offices, and a grab bag of other diversity themed requirements. It increases the collective bargaining power for unions and cancels all of the debt owed by the U.S. Postal Service to the U.S. Treasury. What does that have to do with what's going on? For the global warming crowd, there are increased fuel emission standards and required carbon offsets for airlines, plus tax credits for alternative energy programs. For the kids, there is a provision for student loan uh, payment deferment. And for the education bureaucrats who overcharged them a $9.5 billion giveaway to colleges and universities, it gives $100 million to juvenile justice programs and suspends various aspects of enforcement of immigration laws. First, I'll be fair. If you want to give cash in a stimulus to schools, so be it, because I think now is not the time for partisan ideological bickering. Schools are a functioning part of our economy. Many people work at schools and universities. And if we're going to give a bailout to Boeing, we need to make sure that any aspect of our economy is going to keep flowing properly. That I'm okay with. I'm not okay with them injecting dogma and psychotic whatever into it. So now the bill is blocked again. 
and they're going to blame the Republicans. And I'm sorry, it's just not true. The Republicans could come forward with a crappy bill. Fine. It's called an emergency. This, this is knifing the Americans in the back. It's holding them hostage while they're pleading desperately for help. Perhaps the most troubling sections of the bill are under the rubric American Coronavirus Election Safety Security or Access Act. This section would impose requirements on states for early voting, voting by mail, required mailing of absentee ballots to everyone, ballot harvesting, i.e. having third parties deliver absentee ballots, online voter registration, which is extremely insecure, same day registration, and other practices which undermine confidence in the integrity of the ballot. In these days of increasing threats to election security, we should be moving rapidly back to in-person paper ballots. But this bill would be a radical step in the wrong direction. I don't care. I literally don't care about election security. Why is there election security provisions inside a bill that's supposed to get cash to the hands of Americans? You can't explain that because there is no explanation. It's Democrats saying, you know what? We know we lost. We know, we know we're going down in flames, but screw it. Let's burn the whole place down and force them. They're going to hold you all hostage because they know you're not going to vote for them in November. They know Trump is going to crush Joe Biden in November. So they said, you know what? Fine. We've got all of you and you can't do anything about it. That's what they're doing. Why? Because they need 60 votes in the Senate to pass this. So they are going to try and squeeze you out as they go down in flames. It is hard to quick. Uh, it is hard quickly to root out whatever other aspects of this bill bear no relationship to COVID-19. But to its backers, that is the point. We can't really know what's in it until they pass it. To paraphrase Speaker Pelosi on another such memorable occasion, the politics of the Democratic proposal are not hard to figure. Democrats are concerned the coronavirus crisis could be a 9-11 moment for President Trump, that people might put aside partisanship for a moment to rally around a leader trying his best to help the country cope. Well, I'll tell you what, if you wanted to bolster Donald Trump and the Republicans approval rating, this is exactly how you do it. Non-stop. Over the past several years, the Democrats have just been self-immolating. And I can't figure out why, unless it's on purpose. I really don't know. But perhaps they are just so insanely inept. And now I can only conclude they've seen, they've seen the future. They've looked into, they've, they've, they've scried into the looking glass. And what they, what have they, they've seen that they will be absolutely destroyed, that everything they've done has failed. The investigations have failed. Impeachment has failed. And because they wasted time on impeachment, we were delayed on the coronavirus response. You can blame Trump all you want, but come on. The Democrats could have been on this too. It's not just Trump who's who's in the government. We have three branches. And where was Congress when the outbreak was happening? Impeaching Trump. Trump started a coronavirus task force. Now here we are trying to push through this bill. And this is what we get. That's what you get with the Democrats, and they know it. Uh, the, the story goes on. Bipartisanship derailed. In fact, a more bipartisan stimulus measure had been negotiated over several days in the Senate and was headed towards a key procedural vote when it was stopped dead Sunday at Pelosi's urging and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's uh, ob- <laughs> obeisance. President Trump criticized the New York Times for allegedly giving the Democrats cover on stopping progress by running three successive headlines about the impasse in the Senate. The first two correctly blaming Democrats and the third shifting the blame to be, you know what, man, I seriously hope you share this. I seriously do. Let me, I want, I want to show you what leftist media is trying to claim. Nancy Pelosi proposed her own bill. It's about giving Democrats more leverage in negotiations. Nowhere do they point out that they, you know what, man, I don't care what the Democrats want. 
I don't care if what they're saying actually even makes sense. I don't. You know why? Because now is not the time to put a pause on an emergency relief package to companies and people. Guess what? Big corporations are going to get a ton of money. You know why? Because they have employees they need to pay. Because they have infrastructure they need to maintain. We need to keep the economy going. Vox the other day wrote a story about how the Great Depression the stimulus during the Great Depression was not enough. And so it made the, pressure, the depression limp on slowly. And if they just came in swiftly with a big relief package, the government could have restored confidence and, and started the economic machine churning again. That's what Vox wrote yesterday. They were talking with a guy from Moody's Analytics today. They put out this thing, which is basically a puff piece praising only a few key aspects of what's in the Democrats bill without, without mentioning at all that they're the one blocking this. And they're the reason you will not get your stimulus check. So I hope you share this video. I often, you know, ask for your support in doing so. You don't have to. But I assure you there's going to be a lot of people who are just dumbfounded as to why this is being blocked. And I've seen the comments from people on Facebook, the Republicans are trying to give away corporate, you know, a slush fund for corporations. That doesn't mean anything. Literally means nothing. If a guy walked up to you and said, here's a thousand dollars, the Democrats walked up and smacked it out of his hand. And that's where we are right now. Let's go back to the other story. They say the Democrats seek to feed Republicans a crisis response bill packed with poison pills, placing them in a no win situation. Either they go along with this nonsense, handing the bill to Trump to sign or if Republicans push back. It leads to another round of chest beating and blame coming from Democrats in the media and the markets continue to collapse. That's what I think they want. I think they want the market to burn down because they're hoping it stops Trump. That's really what I think it is. But this attempt to either humiliate or hamstring the president is so bold, so obvious, so opportunistic and so reckless in this time of crisis that it can hardly succeed. Americans want to see bipartisanship. They want strong leadership and they want the cure to the crisis to not be worse than the disease playing political games as many people watch their jobs vanish, their businesses collapse and their life savings evaporate while they sit in quarantine and as others sicken and die is not just bad politics for Democrats. It is simply bad for everyone. And I am convinced they don't care because this is their opinion. I want you to see this article where this this guy, Stephen Straw says, do it. It's like the emperor, do it, burn down, burn down everything. That's right. Republicans are desperate, not the American people. Republican. Let me ask you a question. In this op-ed, he says Republican desperation. Why are the Republicans desperate? Is it because they know that their constituents are suffering? Do you think they're going? You think Trump is concerned about losing to Joe Biden at this point? According to CBS, Donald Trump's approval rating is above water. I don't think the Republicans are worried about re-election. I mean, some of them are. Of course, they are. They always are. But I don't think the issue right now is whether or not they're going to be reelected. Some of these senators aren't up for reelection and Trump is is crushing the polls. I think the real desperation we're seeing from Republicans is that the economy is 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 screeching to a halt. What people don't seem to understand. And I love it because Vox wrote this yesterday. The left way I'm, I'm saying Vox, V-O-X, mind you. They said that at a certain point, the economy cannot recover. It's possible we see a V shape. The economy tanks and then we get it, you know, and then we recover from the virus and it spikes back up. But what I was explaining yesterday on the podcast we were doing is, listen, if I shut down my restaurant for two months, some of my employees are going to move on. They can't stay in the city with no food. They'll move back home to the suburbs or to wherever, you know, their hometown, or they'll just leave Manhattan because it's too dense, too crowded. 
not enough supplies and nowhere to work. And man, if we're being locked down, who wants to be locked down in a tiny 300 square foot room? A lot of people don't. So they'll leave. And once they do, those ties become severed and the businesses can't come back. This is why it's so incredibly important we get things moving moving as quickly as possible. That's why it's so important that businesses do receive a ton of money. Now it's bad because we're borrowing from ourselves in the future, but the alternative is worse. We do nothing. Everything goes up. If somebody is, has been put on leave or furlough or even laid off, but the stimulus package comes in and they say, keep your employees on. Some of these small businesses are going to keep paying their employees amidst the crisis. And that means those people will retain the tie to that business. And although many of these businesses will not be able to recover, that is better than literally doing nothing. Perhaps, as I stated, the goal of the Democrats is to slog this as much as possible to drag it down so that the economy takes such an incredible amount of damage, they then blame Trump for it. The only problem is this is once again an ill-conceived, moronic, desperate bid from Democrats. Ukraine gate was, impeachment was. Let me just ask you something. If, if you are somebody who, who doesn't like the president, and, and, and I'm not saying like, uh, uh, you know, like an ambivalent individual, someone like me, like I'm not, I've never been the biggest fan, but at this point, you're making it really hard. You're making it really hard, Democrats. I'll tell you this. Let me ask you, if you're someone who has consistently hated Trump, everything he's done, how do you justify this? It is so glaringly obvious the Republicans didn't skip their vacation to try and create a slush fund for their buddies. There are, there, there are some bad things in that bill. I'm not going to pretend like it's, you know, in the, the Republican proposal. I'm not going to pretend it's perfect, but it's rushed out. And, you know, what are we going to do? It was negotiated with Democrats. Let, let me stress, for those that haven't been following this, did you know that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans skipped their vacation over this? And, the Demo- and, and Nancy Pelosi took her vacation, shows back up, tells Schumer, nah, crush it. And Schumer says, you got it. That's why the Republicans were so angry. I can't believe this is the world that we're living in. Vox then publishes this, this puff piece, giving us only a few highlights. They say the bill would require any corporation taking relief money to prioritize their workers' wages and benefits over CEO pay. My understanding is that what's really going on is it would require all of these companies to increase their minimum wage. It would force a $15 minimum wage in for any company that took the money. That's that. I, I could be wrong. I can't read it. It's 1400 pages. Give me some time. I'll do my best. I'll try and read the thing. But what Vox does is they cover for the Democrats. It's incredible. They've been trying to do it for some time. I can't believe this is where we're at right now, but I hope everyone recognizes that across the board, as much as the New York Times or anyone else might want to, to cover for the Democrats, it was the Democrats who are blocking the vote on the stimulus package. Let me just say, if you want that cash check because you need money right now, look to the Democrats and ask them why they made this. Can you see that number up top? 1404, 1,404 pages. I don't care what's in it. Let me put it this way. I mean, there are bad things in it I'll talk about, but let me just tell you something. If you are a Democrat, a progressive, somebody who needed this money or thinks other people do or who have friends and family who are suffering, just know this. By putting up a 1,404 page bill to counter the Republicans, there was no possible way anyone could have approved this. So the only outcome would have been that you would not get the relief you need. That's the only outcome. 
Do you think someone's going to sit there and they're going to, even, even if they said, let's all read this, how long would that take? It would at least been a couple days. And that's what the Democrats just did. They said, we will not allow this. Amazing. It was a, that, was, that was a knife in the back. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel in the next segment. Thanks for hanging out. As the crisis around the world deepens, we can see the complete and total collapse of the media narrative happening faster and faster. You see, throughout the month of February, the media kept saying things like, nah, the flu is way worse. Ignore it. Donald Trump, at the end of January, launched his task force, blocked travel from China, and the media called him racist. Now here we are, and they're still saying he isn't doing enough, but I gotta love this next story. So do you. You gotta love it. Arizona man dies after ingesting substance touted by President Trump. You see, because the, mo- the, the news is moving so quickly, the media can't keep up with their flip on the narrative. What they like to do is the media will say something like, the sky is blue. And then Trump will give a press conference and he'll be like, I heard something tremendous. The sky is blue. It's beautiful. Biggest, beautiful sky. And then everyone will start saying the sky is not actually blue. It's, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's actually black and it's rain particles. It's water moisture. Trump is so dumb. The media will say something. Trump will repeat it a week later and then they'll flip a 180. But because Trump's been giving basically daily press conferences, they're flipping so fast, it's becoming insanely obvious. First, let's just take a look at this absolutely psychotic story, which is 100% fake news. Now, did a man actually die? Yes. Did he ingest something touted by President Trump? No. The guy drank, apparently drank or ate some kind of fish cleaner. I mean, this is going viral on Twitter. Apparently, the dude and his wife thought it would be appropriate to eat fish tank cleaner because it has a similar word in it to a word that Trump said. That makes no sense. Never at any point in time did the president go on TV and say, fish cleaner is really good. You should eat fish cleaner. He never said, let's read the story. You're going to love this one because I'm going to rip this one apart. So this is KTAR News. Now, there are many different outlets who have pushed this lie. And I've got one correction post. I'll show you in a second. They say hospital officials are warning against home remedies for COVID-19 after a Metro Phoenix man died and his wife was hospitalized when they ingested a chemical touted by President Trump as a possible coronavirus treatment. That is an absurd lie. Trump never said chloroquine phosphate. Man, you know what, man? During a press conference last week, and again Monday, Trump mentioned that chloroquine, a drug long used to prevent malaria, had shown uh, the potential to combat COVID-19. The substance, also known as chloroquine phosphate, hasn't gone through rigorous scientific testing as a coronavirus treatment. Chloroquine and a similar drug, hydroxychloroquine, showed encouraging signs in small early tests against the coronavirus. But the drugs have major side effects. One reason scientists don't want to give them give them without evidence of their value, even in this emergency. Okay, hold on. Trump did say we're seeing promise with chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. He recently tweeted hydroxychloroquine combined with azithromycin, an antibiotic, has shown to reduce the longevity or the, uh, you know, the symptoms of COVID-19. Trump was referring to widespread media reports. Trump did not create this idea, nor did he ever at any point mention eating fish tank cleaner. And I'm going to show you this is hilarious stuff. In a different form, in a different form, they say, chloroquine phosphate is sold as an additive to deal with infections and algae in fish tanks. Dr. Daniel Brooks, Banner Poison and Drug Information Center medical director, 
told KTAR News. The aquarium form and medical form are the same chemical structure. Oh, thanks for clarifying that for us. You know what? If people go out now and start ingesting fish cleaner, it's because you just told them all it was the same. The Valley couple, both in their 60s, were concerned about symptoms and reportedly saw information online suggesting aquarium products could be used to combat coronavirus, which is absolutely wrong and unfortunately potentially dangerous. He added that it appears to uh, it appears the couple ingested the equivalent of several days worth of the compound as it would have been prescribed as medicine. (laughs) There's so much wrong with this. Not only did they get the bunk information from the Internet, not from the president, they guzzled it down. He says uh, uh, they felt sick within 30 minutes. The man died shortly after arriving at, at an emergency room. The woman was resuscitated and is being cared for at a Phoenix Banner hospital. Before taking the product, they had not been tested. Brooks said the only patients who should take any kind of prescription medication are those diagnosed with the illness and requiring treatment in an intensive care unit. This is one of the things the media has also done. When Trump mentioned hydroxychloroquine, a bunch of people started tweeting, please, people, do not take this drug. It has got to be administered. Then we saw a news story saying simply two grams could kill you. Some other outlets were like a dangerous drug that's linked to heart arrhythmia. Dude. Did you know that most drugs, like, like there's a reason they're called prescription, a pre-script. A doctor has to write you a script so you can go and buy it. Just because Trump is saying, hey, there's some studies, and he didn't even make it up. TechCrunch and many other outlets had reported the exact same thing. This is what's so fascinating. Trump will see a story in the news, and then he'll say, look at that, azithromycin, so good, the best cure, we're looking for it. And then all of a sudden, the media is screaming at him. I tweeted about this, but you're going to love, let's, let's, let's read a little bit more so you get the context. And let me show you this glorious takedown. Experts say anybody experiencing symptoms uh, who are concerned they're infected should reach out to a healthcare professional for guidance. Already approved drugs are tempting for doctors to use off-label, but formal studies are needed to see if they truly work for a new purpose or disease, said Dr. Ross McKinney Jr. Chloroquine may look promising in a test tube, but quote, I'm skeptical it will be effective in patients, he said last week in a call with reporters. The first thing I want to do is I want to give you an example of how insane this story is. Did you know that uh, your food has sodium in it? Yeah, many of you probably already know where I'm going. Imagine if Trump came out and said, too many of our good people don't get enough sodium in their diets and they're hyponatremic. I think that's the word. And so some people went out and bought raw metallic sodium and put it in their mouths. You know what happens when you put raw, like legit or like pure sodium in, uh, in water? Yeah, it bursts into flames or explodes. So I actually pull this up. Check it out. Hyponatremia, the extreme loss of sodium can, uh, can trigger symptoms ranging from muscle cramps, nausea, vomiting, and dizziness to shock, coma, and death. Listen, when we eat food on the back of the food, I just, I just had a bag of chips. It said sodium on the back. It's very, very different from metallic sodium you could buy which apparently they say when you Google it, pure sodium react to saliva is what I Google searched. As soon as the sodium touches the insides of the mouth, it will start reacting violently with the water. The result will be burns to the mouth, both from the heat and from the sodium hydroxide produced. Sodium reacts violently with water. If someone is stupid enough to put an alkaline metal in their mouth, then, you know, why is that anyone's fault? You know, they sell lithium tablets, right? Like people take lithium. Do you know what happens when you take a sh- like lithium metal and put water on it? It bursts into flames. It rapidly oxidizes as an exothermic reaction. So just because people, you know what? 
Where are all the stories about morons eating lithium metal and then and then barfing because their mouth is on fire? The president never told anyone to ingest fish cleaner. <coughs> Excuse me. But you know who did? Well, I bring you now to a tweet from this is uh, it's Amber Athy, the Washington editor for The Spectator US. The media conflated prescribed anti-malaria medication with a fish tank treatment and then tried to blame Trump for the idiots who started purchasing and or ingesting it. Here's the Daily Mail. Fish tank treatment uses the same chemical in the drug Trump claims could be a game changer for treating coronavirus despite zero proof and prices for it have surged to $500. Chloroquine phosphate is used to treat fish tanks. It is a different form of the chemical hydroxychloroquine, a malaria drug. The Daily Mail on, uh, what is this, March 20th, said fish tank treatment. Remember what the first story said? The woman didn't say necessarily, because apparently she's quoted as saying Trump was talking about it. She went online and found bunk information about eating fish tank cleaner. Well, there's more. The New York Post, sales of fish tank additives skyrocket after studies say it could treat coronavirus. What? When did any study come out saying people were ingesting fish tank cleaner and it was curing? <laughs> Never happened. And this is funny because this is the Daily Mail and the New York Post. These are sources I, I, I often use. Now we have this. Heidi NBC. Her husband is dead and she's in the ICU after ingesting chloroquine. Quote, we saw Trump on TV, every channel and all of his buddies uh, and all of his buddies and that this was safe. Trump kept saying it was basically pretty much a cure. She implored Vaughn uh, Hilliard, educate the people. Trump never, (laughs) I'm going to say it again. Trump never said to drink fish tank cleaner. These people are absolutely insane. Could you imagine if someone was like, they mentioned you need to put chlorine in your pool. So they dumped several gallons of Clorox bleach in their pool and then wondered why their eyes and skin were burning and people were passing out. Here's Axios. Here's what Axios originally tweeted. A man has died after ingesting chloroquine phosphate, one of the anti-malaria drugs that Trump has mentioned in recent days. They then said, we have deleted this tweet and corrected our story because it did not reflect the full nature of the self-medication done with an additive commonly used to clean fish tanks. I know it may seem like a silly story, but what you have to understand is that I deal with this kind of stuff all day, every day. If someone came to you and said, Someone, you know, someone ingested fish tank cleaner and the media is blaming Trump. You can immediately see what's wrong with the media. You're going to be like, that's insane. Like Trump would never say that. That makes no sense. But what about a story where it's like, you know, bomb blast in Middle Eastern country? You can only assume they're telling the truth. And then it turns out that many of these stories are just as fake. The only reason they're correcting these stories now is because it's so absurd. People are catching it, which brings me back to my first point that the news cycle today is so rapid and insane that people are putting out psychotic stories that get eaten up by people. Well, I mean, that normally do. Normally, this stuff happens all the time. Like if you look back a month, like I mentioned, all of these news outlets were saying the flu was worse. Now we can easily look back and say, wow, look what they said. Typically, it's like six months later, they'll change the story or flip the narrative and then argue, oh, our opinions change or something like that. Well, here we go again. Daily Mail reports Donald Trump touts chloroquine as a coronavirus cure again at White House briefing despite men dying in Arizona from self-medicating. And Dr. Tony Fauci is absent from the dais, from the dais. Okay, never. You know what? 
Trump is talking about a legitimate study that was in the media. TechCrunch reported, I've covered it. It was a French study. It was preliminary. It was a small sample size. It may not be, it may be a blip, but they administered hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin combined. There have been other countries that are exploring this. And more importantly, why isn't the media narrative that man drinks fish tank cleaner after media runs report on, you know, on chloroquine? Why isn't the story man dies after ingesting chemical touted by Andrew Cuomo of New York City? You see, they go after Trump when he points this out. They go after him again, even the Daily Mail. But we just had Governor Cuomo and everybody calling him, you know, hashtag President Cuomo. He was saying the exact same thing. He's saying we're going to we're going to move forward on these on these studies with hydroxychloroquine. It's not his fault, is it? Even though when Joe Biden came out on his stupid live stream that he muttered and mumbled, the networks ran Cuomo instead. Is the media's fault? The media is the one that propped up every single individual who said this. But of course, once again, it falls onto the shoulders of Trump just because guess what? The orange man must be bad, period. I I saw, I don't know if you saw that uh, uh, interaction between, I think that guy's name is Peter Alexander and how the media cut it out of context. That's their MO. They did it. Remember that thing Trump did with uh, Shinzo Abe? I think it was Shinzo Abe of, of Japan. They were feeding koi fish. And then Shinzo Abe pours his food or, or he, he, he like tosses all of the food into the pond. So Trump shrugs and then pours his out as well. The cameraman for ABC zooms in on Trump. So you only see him do it. And then the media ran this big, huge story about how Trump was making a fool of himself. And then when the real footage got released, you saw that Trump was just doing what the prime minister of Japan was doing. It's really difficult to understand what's happening in this country when you have a media desperately trying to lie to you all day, every day. I deal with this all the time. And I want to end with one final thought. I said this the other day, and I love it. Remember, remember that g- the toilet girl? The, she, she's the coronavirus challenge. She licked the toilet. Yeah, I call her toilet girl. She was doing that for attention. She wanted to get clicks. She wanted to get likes. Never forget that these stories, posts on Twitter, they're the equivalent of licking a toilet seat for attention. It's not real. It's ridiculous. It's gross. It's bad for everybody. This list girl's probably going to spread some kind of sickness, not realizing E. coli exists. She's like, I'm not going to coronavirus. Yeah, well, you licked a toilet, dude. That's gross. You deserve whatever comes your way if you do that. But the problem is we're being inundated by a media that does this all the time. Many of you could see through how absurd the story is. Now, I want you to think about every other story and what you might not know about it. And you can't just assume they're all true. And that's that's a dangerous precedent for us. There was research done recently that found the least trusted group of individuals to inform anyone about the coronavirus pandemic are journalists. That was from Edelman Research. But uh, I'll I'll leave it there. I just want to I'll go back to Amber's tweets just to make sure you see it was various media outlets that were talking about drinking fish cleaner. And in the first part and in the story, the woman says we went online and found information suggesting they could do this. It was not Trump. I'll see you all at 4 p.m. on the main channel, youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out. Ladies and gentlemen, we've actually come to this point. Democrats are pleading with Joe Biden not to die. That's all they want from him. I'm not kidding. In a story from The Atlantic titled Stay Alive, Joe Biden, Democrats need little more from the front runner beyond his corporeal presence. You know, <laughs> this is a real story. This is an opinion piece from a woman named Alex Wagner who basically argues all we need is Biden to be alive 
because the idea will persist and people hate Trump. We don't need anything from him. The speeches are over. Just please, Joe, please don't die. Well, I, I'll, look, okay, man, please, please, Joe, don't die. I agree with that. But come on, it's a little disconcerting if that's your rallying cry for, the, for Democrats 2020. Joe Biden's tagline, you know, Obama had, you know, hope and change. Yes, we can. Biden has stay alive, please, Joe. That's pathetic. I'm sorry, man. Joe Biden should not be in this race. But here we are. Joe Biden has become so inept, so in, in, unable to actually do the, the job of campaigning. You think this guy is going to be able to be president when you're actually begging him to live? Please don't die. That's all we need. No, we need a president, man. We need someone who can lead the armed forces, who can lead a nation. If this dude's hanging on by a few hairs, no, come on, man. You know what? At this point, I can only assume they want him to lose. Sure. Let's read what, well, let's read what she says. Two days before the South Carolina primary that would reverse his political fortunes and redirect the course of the Democratic nomination, Joe Biden's campaign for president announced a hastily planned event at McClellanville, South Carolina. The national campaign press was alerted that Biden would enter full battle mode at this stop. At the proverbial gloves were about to come off ahead of the killer be killed primary on Saturday. And no one would want to miss this one. And yet when the cameras and reporters arrived, all they found were a few folding chairs and an otherwise empty parking lot. In front of a community health center, Biden walked out to a podium, mumbled a few words about the improvements he wanted to make to Obamacare, and then shuffled off alone. The sun was shining, the birds were chirping, and absolutely nothing had changed. The most notable thing about the event was how unremarkable it was. Yeah, many people have been saying that about Biden for a long time. In the annals of political history, the week leading into Biden's 30th point margin of victory on primary night in South Carolina, South Carolina, will likely be recorded as the one that ultimately determined the course of the nominating battle. That Saturday night, Biden showed his unmatched power among black voters and began to dispense with his rivals. But you would, but you sure wouldn't have known it from the guy on the campaign trail. Yeah, funny, isn't it? Voters seem to have coalesced around Biden for his past who they have known him to be for, for the past four decades in American politics, rather than for anything in his, pre- in his present. It's as if Biden exists primarily as an idea rather than an actual candidate. <laughs> this is what they're going to vote for. Today, as the country and the world enters what is likely to be a prolonged period of darkness left to the mercy of a deadly virus, Biden is grappling with the reality of what he can and must do in this hour of crisis. As the man who would like to take over leadership of the United States already this week, there are news reports that his campaign is in a state of suspended political animation. Well, to quote the great Joe Biden, we have to take care of the cure because it will be worse or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Okay, that was a terrible quote. But I don't know what the guy's been trying to say. He's in his house. He's got like some weird fake background and he mutters and mumbles as per usual. And I got no idea what he's proposing. Here's what they say. Biden can't fully pivot to the general election. He can't truly unite the party's warring factions, nor can he begin stockpiling the vast amounts of money he'll need for November. His momentum has effectively been stopped cold. For the foreseeable future, all live campaign events are canceled, so he can't hit hit the stump to try and capitalize on the excitement he had just stoked. His ability to criticize Trump on anything other than his performance on coronavirus response and preparedness is constrained by the emergency-like conditions. I'm surprised... We haven't heard Democrats claim that Trump staggered the response to coronavirus on purpose to hurt Biden's campaign. Come on. That sounds like something they would accuse him of, right? 
the hand wringing over fundraising and campaign events may be beside the point. After all, if you were on the campaign trail for the past, past three months, what struck you at was not Biden's organization. There was little or his resources. There were few. What is this? Or even the campaign messaging. Joe Biden has been and forever will be Joe Biden. What was striking was the sense of anguish and urgency articulated by everyone everywhere all the time. And that was before the pandemic. Dude, Biden's slogan should be like, "Ugh, I guess fine, we'll take Biden. There were the Bernie Sanders supporters on the campus of Florida International University who told me, however, reluctantly, that they would vote for Biden because Donald Trump had to be stopped. There were the soccer moms canvassing for Amy Klobuchar in Johnson, Iowa, who made clear that their primary concern more than Amy's chances was whether Trump was going to get reelected. There were the culinary workers union members in Vegas who hadn't been fired up by any candidate in particular, but it told me they felt as if they faced an existential threat from the Trump administration. And that was enough to drive them to the voting booth and to pull the lever. Yeah, well, those people voted for Bernie, mind you. There were the older black voters in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who woke up at 7 a.m. to check out Michael Bloomberg, (laughs) mostly because they were worried that Biden was slipping and Trump had to be removed. And if Joe couldn't do it, they said, then they had to find someone who would. Almost no one I came across that they were going to vote because someone, anyone, but especially Joe Biden, had made their hearts sing. Even Sanders supporters, the ones in the flesh, not online, were clear eyed about their desire to defeat Trump first and foremost, ending the Trump presidency because of the lies, the cruelty, the indignities, the misogyny, the incompetence, the fraudulence, the corruption, the clownishness, the recklessness, the lawlessness, the selfishness. Oh, the list went on. That was something that united men and women across the United States and left them in a state of anguish. And so they rallied around Joe Biden and were praying that he lives. Is that your message to the American voter? Dude, Trump's approval ratings when it comes to the economy is at 53%, according to one poll. For In the aggregate, he's well above water. And this is what you're saying? Vote for Joe Biden. He's alive. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> On television, the, <laughs> vote for Joe Biden. He's alive. On television, this concern was packaged as a focus on electability, but out in the country itself, it was something deeper and more emotional than the dispassionate term implies. Democrats, some independents and some Republicans, too, were terrified and furious. The prospect of another four years of Donald Trump. And as the weeks of the primary season ticked on, it became clear that there was one option to forestall that possibility. And his name was Joe Biden. I am so sorry. I am struggling not to just laugh for 20 minutes straight. I am trying. I'm trying through it all. The fairly awkward, awful campaign events. This is a woman who's just slamming Biden over and over again as inept, incapable, lacking resources with crappy events and begging him just to live. Uh, Man, if Trump derangement syndrome was was, you know, this is Trump derangement syndrome incarnate. It's 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 becoming corporeal itself. Okay, she says, Bernie Sanders may still be in the race, but this is a detail. Democrats have chosen Biden as their vessel for Trump's defeat. And that choice is the entire point. The vanquishing matters more than anything else. In all likelihood, the desire to oust Trump will be piercing in the coming days as death and chaos escalate. The president has been reckless, duplicitous, and morally hazardous in his leadership during a pandemic that is likely to be the defining event of a generation. Forget about a campaign cycle. But the many union members looking at their closed casinos and their mothers in lockdown with their children and their students forced off their campuses and older Americans living in complete isolation 
may find it impossible to imagine that their earlier fears about another four years of Trump have abated or that the ferocity of their desire to get him out of office has lessened. Indeed, the emotion of this moment may displace any that has come before it. Biden's team appears to understand this (laughs) and to believe that what matters most now is keeping their candidate alive. (laughs) This is is real. Alive in the American imagination as an alternative to Trump. His appearances these days have an almost parallel universe quality to them. Biden's audienceless remarks from his home in Delaware have the suggestion of an, an Oval Office address. What is this? This can't be real. And their, con- their content seems intended to offer a glimpse into the twilight zone where someone else, someone more empathetic and capable is president. It's as if Biden is telling, I can't read this, is telegraphing to the public. You have already imagined that I can beat Trump now. Imagine what it will be like when I am president and he need only live. Yes, for the foreseeable future, there will be no more speeches in front of hundreds or lines of people waiting to shake Biden's hand. There may not even be the glossy fanfare of a convention with a primetime address. But truthfully, all those things were always sort of beside the point, like on that morning in McClellanville, and countless others besides, Biden was never really convincing anyone on the stump. What? His political power at this point is an idea held collectively about how to defeat Trump. The work now is to keep the idea convincing enough for long enough as among as many people as possible for the corporeal man to actually win. What did I just read? This was published in The Atlantic. I feel like I'm reading The Onion or The Babylon Bee. <laughs> Stay alive, Joe Biden. That's all. She literally went through a huge list of everything wrong with Biden and then ended by saying, but he's alive. That's amazing. She's telling you to vote against Trump and not to vote for Biden. You know, I'm not going to do that. I think y'all are nuts. I'm just not going to vote. My vote is my support. I'll vote for somebody I like, not nobody. I'm not going to vote for a dude because he's alive. I'm going to vote for Biden if he's got ideas, which he doesn't. Or at least maybe he did 40 years ago, but but today he doesn't. Today he mishes and mashes them up and nothing going on. I'll tell you what. If that's all anyone need be, that says a lot about Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Warren, Bernie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Vote for Biden. He's alive. I'll see you all in the next segment in a few minutes. Oh, geez. There's been a lot of concern about potential domestic travel restrictions, but don't worry, I have good news. There won't be any potential. There won't be travel restrictions for the most part, it would seem, because the airlines are preparing to shut down nationwide, which is kind of scary. This has never happened before. But hey, you know, everybody has some kind of defining moment in their lives or in their generation, and we're facing a serious threat. So this is a, will be a bit more serious. The airlines shutting down signifies something really, really drastic. Donald Trump is talking about trying to get the economy up and running again. And maybe by Easter, a lot of people are freaking out, saying now is not the time. We need to bunker down and quarantine for a lot longer than that. But how long can Americans stay indoors before they lose it? I mean, people need food. You're going to go to supermarkets. There's going to be a ton of people there. So let's check out the story, see what's going on with airlines. And I'll just give you a quick warning. The State Department has said, If you're overseas, get back now. Maybe too late. I've got friends in other countries who are telling me that it's basically too late and they are struggling to get back to this country. But let me make one thing 
absolutely clear. If you are in a foreign country and these airlines shut down, you're not coming back. That also means that if things get really, really bad, you are a second class citizen. If you are not a citizen of this country that you are in, don't be surprised if they say back of the line, our citizens come first. Now, you'll probably still find help, but you don't want to be in that situation. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. They say airlines across the country are believed to be working on plans for a complete shutdown of all passenger flights across the nation as air traffic control systems begin to feel the effects of the coronavirus. Air traffic controllers fell ill at two of the nation's busiest airports last week, including JFK and Chicago. It saw hundreds of flights delayed or even canceled as a result. The fear is that as the pandemic takes hold, more air traffic controllers will be off sick, making the workload of controlling the nation's skies impossible for those who remain in the towers. I mean, it's not just that nobody's flying anymore. I mean, very few people are. A lot of the airlines are trying to condense the flights they do have. So we're seeing tons of cancellations. You can see that some photos of inside an, inside an airport. That's relevant. Nearly a dozen traffic control facilities have been temporarily closed to be disinfected and cleaned, according to the Wall Street Journal. The pressure on those who remain as more and more employees stay home on, on self-quarantine. The shutdown, which would be voluntary, could see almost all flights apart from cargo planes being stopped for a period of time in a move not seen since 9-11 and the days following what happened in 2000, uh, the attacks in 2001. Although no final decision, decisions are believed to have been made by either the airlines or the White House, the complete halt to air travel would also help airlines who are struggling to keep flying. On occasion, President Trump had spoken of the possibility of domestic travel bans in an effort to stop people traveling while cities and states attempt to flatten the curve of the coronavirus outbreak. Many flights are running with passenger numbers at around 15% of their usual capacity. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, a member of the White House's virus task force, said there's no plan today or tomorrow to seriously consider mandating an end to domestic passenger travel. Over the last week, airport in Chicago and New York have delayed flights after air traffic controllers tested positive for the virus. On Tuesday, Chicago, uh, Chicago's Midway air traffic control tower shut down late afternoon after three workers tested positive for COVID-19. It resulted in 200 flights being canceled as air traffic had to be reduced. Now, a lot of people are concerned about authoritarian lockdown provisions, things like, you know, the DOJ is asking for indefinite detention provision, uh, powers. These things should be blocked. But I will also point out there's an issue of capacity. A lot of people, uh, presumably on the left, seem to think that the government can snap its finger and, and fingers and just do things. It doesn't, it, it can't, and sometimes it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Trump wants to shut down travel domestically or not. There could be domestic restrictions in the form of like checkpoints on bridges, I suppose. But if the planes can't fly because the people aren't there, guess what? You can't fly, which I, I want to give you a quick, well, let's read this. And I, I want to tell you a quick story. A lot of people don't understand about e- economics, about how the limits of wealth. And it's, it's relevant to this, trust me. The virus also struck JFK Airport in New York when an air traffic controller fell ill with the virus. With the pandemic continuing to spread and with mandatory stay-at-home orders for 80 million Americans, Americans uh, airline executives, wait, for 80 million Americans airline executives, pilot union leaders and federal transportation officials believe there will be further reductions in the number of passengers traveling and the number of flights being scheduled. Most of the U.S. airlines have dropped most of their international routes to Asia, Europe, South America, Canada, with further plans to reduce domestic flying by around 40%, while the bulk of potential travelers continue to stay home. 
this weekend. The Transportation Security Administration noted that the number of passengers passing through the security checkpoints was down by 80% compared to the same weekend last year. Wow, that's crazy. And we can see here we're up to 46,418 cases here in the United States. So the rate of, of deaths is going up. It went down a little bit uh, over, over the past day, but we'll, it, it, it may again go up. So, so I want to explain to you, that's the gist of the story. The airlines are shutting down. But I got to break something down for you that people don't understand about economics. Two important things. And the first thing I'll start with is, is uh, the, the, the length that wealth can really go. You might be one of the richest people on the planet, but I'll tell you what, you probably can't fly right now. All of those billions and millions won't get you a plane if there's no air traffic controllers. Now, some people might, you know, just fly anyway and ignore it, but that's extremely dangerous. A lot of people, particularly on the left, they don't seem to understand. They think people like Bezos or Musk or Gates or whatever can teleport, basically. Like they're always on private jets. Now, it's true. Private jets are available if you can afford it. But without human infrastructure, it doesn't exist. Now, I think it's fair to point out, socialists do point this out, that it's labor from regular people that allows these systems to continue functioning. Functioning. But uh, I'll tell you a story. There was somebody I knew who was particularly wealthy, and they had told me that we were in Washington, D.C., and I I was asking them, like, you know, when did you get here? And they explained they got there, you know, the same day. And so I left, and I was like, oh, you you fly first class? And they said to me, they were like, oh, no, man, I'm well above that. And I was like, oh, wow, private jet. And then I was like, so is your private jet? He's like, no, I took the train. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that was it. Like, no matter how much money you have, the most efficient form of travel might just be a train. Coming from New York to D.C., why bother flying? It would take longer to wait in line at an airport and schedule a flight. But that brings me to the next big point I want to get to as it pertains to U.S. airlines. And we're seeing something truly amazing about the size of human civilization. We are a specialization race at this point. Our economy is specialization. There was a period thousands and thousands of years ago where a single human being could know everything a human humans knew because we knew very little. Today, we know so much. People are becoming hyper specialized, like in the music industry, for instance. You don't just have one person who makes music. You have a person who specializes in like a very specific thing. It was always funny to me when I was working on uh, uh, productions and films to see one guy whose job it was literally just to work the boom mic. And I'm like, that's all he does. It's that specialized. So there are a lot of aspects about economics that this flies over the head of a lot of the people who are about UBI and socialism in, uh, in, in understanding that the technology we have to a certain extent is the result of a massive population. And that's it. As our population gets bigger and bigger, and we understand more and more about the world around us, we need more and more specialties, people whose job it is to be extremely focused on one small and complicated thing. When we put these things together, you end up with big planes. But when population starts reducing, you can't support the infrastructure of the airports anymore. To make a plane fly, you need bulk economics. If there was one person who said, I need a plane, you're not going to be able to support a jumbo jet. And it's not even about that. You need to have the jumbo jet fly like four or five times loaded with passengers to make it worth even having that jet, which means when passenger numbers reduce, then you can't even support that technology. Long story, long story short on this in this regard is that there may be technologies out of reach because we would need to increase the amount of people that can utilize the system to actually sustain its development and growth. If only 100 people needed to fly every day, you would not see a 747. 
Those planes would probably, they probably need to carry full passengers back and forth several times in order to make it economically sustainable, servicing that many people. Which brings me to the final point about U.S. airlines in this capacity. There are problems with government infrastructure when it pertains to, you know, air traffic controllers or any kind of public job uh, required to make a society function. And this is where things get scary. Well, I I don't know if it's, it's scarier than if it was private or not, but I'll use Detroit as an example. They built up a, a, a water system, water infrastructure, but they all, and, and let's actually, let, let me, let me, let me back up. Let's say you have plumbing in your town and your town has a thousand people. Everybody spends a hundred bucks a month to sustain that plumbing system. If 500 people move out, your costs double. So what ends up happening with the airlines, which gets scary, is that as more, as, as less and less people are using these airlines, they have to increase the cost to make these things work. And eventually they don't exist anymore. Which brings me to the last point about Trump and the economy and why I think this is worth talking about. If the airlines are forced to shut down, starting them back up will not be a matter of snapping our fingers and saying, welcome back to the job. Because the companies themselves, themselves might collapse. The cost of a ticket might become way too high. And then I guess what the government will have to spend exorbitant prices to kickstart things again? Seems likely. Now, at the end of it, this is more about whether or not we'll have travel restrictions, but I, I, I don't think we will. I think we're not going to be flying for some time. I hope you're at home because the Surgeon General and, and other governors have already said, expect things to get worse from here. The reason I talked about the economic stuff is I want you to consider what happens if we delay this for too, much, for, for too long. It's why Trump wants to get the economy started again. You wait too long, it will cease to exist to an extent. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Everybody's favorite climate activist, Greta Thunberg, says it is extremely likely that she is infected with the coronavirus. And I mean this with utmost sincerity. I really do hope or wish for the best. I hope she gets well. I hope it's not serious and for her family and friends. And, and beyond that, everybody, you know, I, I don't want to see anybody hurt by this. I absolutely love criticizing and arguing over economic, poli- uh, economic and environmental policy. I'm v- I've been very critical of a lot of things she's pointed out. And, and I will point out she's young and naive, but I absolutely do not want to see anybody with long term neg- negative effects to their health. So with the utmost sincerity and with all due respect, Greta, I hope you do get better. But I'm sorry, I'm going to now criticize you over the things you have said in terms of uh, the environment, because even if you're sick, even if there is a potential risk to your health, your ideas are not sick. Well, I mean, some people might think they are, but I mean, your ideas are there and they're there to be argued with. And we will do that. Greta, uh, so Greta Thunberg revealed on Tuesday, it's extremely likely she had COVID-19. Thunberg broke the news on Instagram to her 10 million followers saying she and her father began to feel ill around March 14th after returning from a trip to Brussels. Now, one of the things she said, is that this prove, proves she was right about how the, the world can mass mobilize when it's facing a true crisis. Perhaps that means something you don't realize. Greta looks at how we've shut the economy down and I don't, she's not really bringing it up, but check this out. Traffic and pollution plummet as US cities shut down coronavirus. A lot of people have, have pointed this out saying, why won't Greta Thunberg point out all the good things that are happening now? I don't, I don't think you realize this is what she was talking about. She was actually talking about shutting down economies so that this would happen. I do not believe, well, I think it's fair to say that it's true. Governments can mass mobilize to a crisis. 
and she points this out. But I think there's kind of a, you know, a whoosh phenomenon, you know, whoosh right over the head. Perhaps that's because it's not a crisis. I think global warming is a serious threat, but is it an existential threat on the level of, you know, the coronavirus? No, the coronavirus could kill millions of people. When it comes to climate change, we have speculation and probabilities. We know, according to the scientists, that it will be bad for us in the long run. But as much as the doomsayers have tried to scream 12 years until the end is here, they've been saying that every 10 years. So no, that's not the case. There will be a change to the, to, to the economy, to climates, to living standards. There could be bad you know, consequences to climate change, but it's dramatically different. And maybe she missed this one. But perhaps nobody cares about climate change because it's not that pressing of an issue. The symptoms the teenage girl, uh, the teenage climate change uh, activist experience included a sore throat, fatigue, shivers, and a cough. In Sweden, you cannot test yourself for COVID-19 unless you're in need of emergent medical treatment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Why is everybody ragging on the American healthcare system? It's the same thing. You can't just go and get a test. Same thing in Sweden. Wait a minute. So uh, she says, everyone feeling ill, are told to stay at home and isolate themselves. Thunberg said in an Instagram post, I have therefore not been tested for COVID-19, but it's extremely likely that I have it given the combined symptoms and circumstances. So look, I don't think it's that important to talk about her potentially being sick too much. But one of the quotes she did have was that it's proof of you know the global organization. So I want to make a few points about what she's called for in the past. And the story we're seeing now for the New York Times is that things are actually getting better. But Greta Thunberg called for a complete suspension of the use of fossil fuels. This is literally what she wanted. She's getting it. So there's, I, don't, I don't think you necessarily need to criticize her when we're doing what she said we should do. I mean, for a different reason. But people are saying, why won't she point it out? Let's read this story from the New York Times, see exactly what's going on. And, 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 and we'll talk about fossil fuels and why it doesn't work. Before we do, however, I have a rare shout out to one of the, the great sponsors of my channel, Virtual Shield. Let me level with all of you, man. We are in trying times right now. Everybody's taken a major hit on, uh, on, due, due to the, the economy. And Virtual Shield is my first sponsor. They've always been there for me, and I'm eternally grateful. So if you want to get a VPN, this is a virtual private network. It can help keep your data safe as you browse, browse the web from hackers, from low-grade government spies or corporate espionage or whatever it is you might be afraid of. It's a simple layer of protection. Go to hidewithtim.com and they have March Madness time, 30% off. It's just $3.49 per month to get this virtual private network. There's a lot of things VPNs can do for you. If you don't want people to know where you're coming from, it can change. It basically changes your IP address. So well, people won't necessarily know where you are and it makes it harder for them to figure out who you are. And it's harder for them, harder for them to break in your system. But I'll, I'll keep it simple. Nothing is perfect, but do you, you know, I always put it this way. Do you expect anyone to break into your house? No, not really. But you do lock your doors and windows and typically never, you know, we never have to deal with anything like that. That's, that's how I view VPN. So my eternal gratitude to Virtual Shield for helping keep my channel going at this time when we've got serious economic considerations. And I hope you all consider if you need a VPN, Virtual Shield is available. Hidewithtim.com. Let's get back to the story. So the New York Times notes, in cities across the U.S., traffic on roads and highways has fallen dramatically over the past week as the coronavirus outbreak forces people to stay at home and every la- everyday life grinds to a halt. A satellite that detects emissions in the atmosphere linked to cars and trucks shows huge declines in pollution over major metropolitan areas, including L.A., Seattle, New York, Chicago, and Atlanta. I mean, this is a, it's, it's, it correlates with the drop in economic activity, which is really, really fascinating. 
In Los Angeles, as businesses and schools have closed this month and drivers have stayed off the roads, air pollution has declined and traffic jams have all but vanished. Preliminary data from the European Space Agency's Sentinel-5P satellite show that atmospheric levels of nitrogen dioxide, which are influenced in large part by car and truck emissions, were considerably lower over LA in the first two weeks of March compared to the same period last year. The car-dependent city normally features some of the highest smog levels in the country. Look at these empty roads. This is amazing. If I don't know how many of you have ever been to LA or, or, or live there. These roads this empty? That's, a, that's remarkable. The Los Angeles famous rush hour congestion has virtually disappeared. On Wednesday at 8 a.m., traffic in the city was moving 53% faster than it usually does on a Wednesday morning, according to data from Inrix, a company that analyzes traffic data from vehicle and phone navigation systems. At 5 p.m., when the freeways are typically congested, traffic was moving 71% faster than usual. That is amazing. Check this out. Traffic speeds along Interstate 110 in LA were much faster than usual. So I'll give that shout out to Greta because what she said in her op-ed, well, she, she wrote an op-ed that was basically loaded with intersectionality, ending colonialism and patriarchy. It makes no sense. But she said, we will not wait till 2021. She says, we don't want to wait till 2050 or 2030 or even 2021. Fossil fuel use must be stopped right now. Do you have any idea what's going on right now with the economy? We are facing a global economic catastrophe. We are in the midst of it. People are going, are going to go without food, medicine, shelter. Things are going to get bad. We're living off of our savings, our figurative savings. It's only going to last so long. Look at what's going on to make the, the, the environmental changes that are happening right now. And you'll realize just how horrifying things would truly be if we wanted to implement Greta Thunberg's policy proposals. So she's getting what she wants, but it's terrifyingly mm, evil, I guess. The challenge is, we as humans are cursed with the knowledge of our own demise. You know, yeast, for instance, in a, in a bottle of beer or in a bread is eating away at sugars and growing and toxifying its own environment. Well, I mean, and then we consume it, but that's a different point. Eventually, the resources run out. They're finite. You toxify your environment. You cease to exist. We know what's happening. But what's the challenge? What's the, what, what do we do? Do we let humans die? Do we put weird restrictions on what humans can or can't do and then suffer under the weight of harsh consumption restrictions? I honestly don't know. In order to get to the point where we've dramatically reduced these emissions, you can see Seattle almost erasing their emissions. We have to undergo a dramatic collapse to our way of life that is threatening people's lives. I don't know how we rectify this problem because certainly, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go somewhere dangerous with this. You know what we do when animals overpopulate? It's called a culling. Humans can't do that. It is, it is, a, it is a moral absolute, essentially. We, we cannot as humans. So perhaps there needs to be some kind of collective understanding protecting, uh, of conservation, protecting our environment, and maintaining levels that are harmonious. I don't know how to do it. How do you tell someone they're not, they're not allowed to have kids? You can't do that either. I guess mm, I, the only thing I can really say is, let me wrap this up. What we're seeing right now to reduce emissions is horrifying. And I don't think there's a solution that we could implement to get this done. We're doing it because it's an emergency and we're getting a glimpse of it. Perhaps the answer is interstellar travel. Perhaps we need to start colonizing other worlds and expanding beyond just this one. Elon Musk is working on it. I like to remain optimistic, but I'll tell you this. The point I was trying to make earlier is that there are rules. Nobody wants to see a bunch of humans hurt or killed or any kind of genocide or anything like that. We don't like the idea of telling people they can't have kids. These things are all terrifying. 
We know what our rules are. We know what our moral limits are. And we know what our moral obligations are. And that means our way out does not involve shutting down the use of fossil fuels right now immediately. I mean, we can, we can evolve beyond this with, with new, te- uh, new technology. Because the reason we won't do that is it would result in people dying. They need this for food. They need it for, for heating their homes. But the, perhaps the direct solution we can see right now, and maybe it won't be the solution, is getting, getting off this planet. Excuse me. Getting off this planet, maybe going to Mars, maybe even sending out long-term sustainable biodome vessels or something. Maybe we need to discover ways to put humans in suspended animation. But I can tell you this. I, I, I believe in environmentalism. I believe Greta Thunberg is misguided or dangerous. She's kind of a, like a little Thanos, you know? We've got we to gotta take these dramatic changes. It's, it's exactly what Thanos wanted to do. It's the villain from Marvel. There's not enough resources to go around, so half the people got to go. Well, we can't do that. So we got to figure out a better way to do things. But I do think it's absolutely fascinating now that we're seeing this reduction in pollution. It is absolutely incredible. New York, what are you doing? New York only reduced. I mean, New York reduced a lot, but it doesn't look like all that much. But I'll leave, I'll leave it there. And I'll end by saying I do really, really mean this. I, ho- I hope Greta is not uh, too sick. I hope she gets better. I hope her family gets better. I wish her the best. And I look forward to seeing her engaging in more activism that we can argue about. I don't, I don't think it's fair to say anybody has all the answers, which means we need as many ideas as possible so that we can yell at each other and figure out what idea works and what doesn't. And that goes for Greta. As much as I disagree, I wish her the, I wish her the best and I hope she gets better. And I hope all of you recognize why it's important that her health recovers too. I'll leave it there. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out.